Welcome to Thrive Church Online. We are here to know God, to grow in Him, and go. We hope you feel encouraged and equipped through this week's message. Man, it's good to have you here this morning. I am uh, I'm excited. Thank both of y'all. I'll pay you later. That's good stuff. Uh, man, I'm super excited. Um, I meant to have a graphic for this, and I don't. Uh, Rick, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so we did a Give and to Grow campaign. Um, uh, ended last week. Uh, we did it for about about four weeks. We raised just over $12,000. Uh, what's that? Almost thirteen. That's what I got. That, that means really close. So, man, God is, God is moving. Uh, we have some more money that's pledged beyond that. Um, but we, we're only counting what's in-house um, because it's easy to make a pledge. I write a check. Anybody remember, was it Jeff Foxworthy? Write a check. I'll pay my car off right now if I can write a check. Does it have to clear, right? Pledges are easy. Uh, follow through sometime is difficult. But man, we're excited. Um, so our heart is um, to do a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, over time, we, we plan on bringing more, more staff on uh, just to, just to meet the load of the church, um, our church is growing. I think Easter we had 331. Um, you know, it that we we average somewhere north of 200, and we just you know we're moving we're moving to that place where we just have to. The, the other part of our of our heart is we want to o- open a second location. Uh, we've got folks that we're raising up. Uh, we've got uh, three folks right now that are in ordination, and um, and really they're the 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 next place that we're going to plant campus pastors. Because I think this, the days of building a big mega church and saying everybody come come here are over. Um, I, I think you'll see some successes of that. But I think that when Jesus said go out into all the world, he meant for us to go to them, not them to come to us. So our heart is to build facilities and build locations where people are connected with Jesus. And they're connected in, in places that are small enough that they can actually know the people that they're serving and, and, and impacting. Um, so that's our heart. And we'll see what God has for that. Uh, our whole goal is just to make Jesus famous. And we're going to do that by helping people know God, grow in God, and go do something for God. But here's the reality. If you serve God, if you don't serve God, you're going to have problems. And if you don't have problems, I will come rub your forehead. Because you, my friend, have a blessing that nobody else has. And nobody that I've ever read about in the Bible. Um, I don't know when we got to the place where we thought our problems were so unique. I have people all the time, they go, hey, pastor, can I meet with you? And I, yeah. So they'll come in, they'll sit down there and be like, I need to tell you something. And I don't want you to be disappointed. And they lead into this problem like they're the only person that's ever had this problem on the face of this planet. Pastor, i got to, I got some financial troubles. Well, you and everybody else. Now, it's how bad they are, right? Like sometimes they, they're worse. Well, Pastor, I, I've got this addiction problem. Well, you and everybody else. Can I prove your addiction? Lose your phone today. You will look for it like a missing person. I, I was laughing. So during our leaders' meeting, I took my phone. I got frustrated because I asked, you know, who a question. I'm not going to say because then it'll set my phone off. And I got frustrated because my phone didn't answer, so I dropped my, just kind of flat dropped my phone, and everybody went, oh! 
And I'm like, it's just a phone, people. Like, Amazon will send me another one in less than 48 hours, right? Yesterday, I actually dropped. I was talking on the phone and was cooking uh, chicken wings. Because Jesus loves chicken wings. Um, and uh, I opened the oven, and I dropped my phone, and it slid in on the, on the rack. That's interesting. So I, I was actually, I was talking to Wendy, and I was like, hold on! And I got the tongs out, and I threw my phone out in the floor. It's still working right now. So, uh, But it was a problem. Um, because again, I think, I think life is full of problems. And I think here's the thing, immaturity will lead you to think that your problem is a problem. Spiritual maturity will begin to let you know that, that your problem can become your, part of your promise, that your problem can become part of your purpose. And so why do we fight so hard against our problem rather than leaning into where our problem is trying to take us so that it grows us? I never will forget my wife and I went on an anniversary trip one time uh, to the Great Smoky Mountains. And we had a cabin. It was romantic. Barry White playing in the background. The sexual healing. So anyway, so um, we had all this stuff. We, oh, stop it. Why else do you go? If you're going on your anniversary for any other reason, we need to have a talk. But so what happened was, um, we had all this stuff we planned to do uh, during the day, and um, and we got and we got up and it was pouring down. So back then, you know, you, you did, there weren't apps on your phones. You watched the the Weather Channel, and so it rained literally the whole time we were there. And that's a problem. Every guy who's ever spent money to take his wife on an anniversary trip and then it pours down like there were two of every kind of animal getting on the boats. I mean, it was pouring down. <laughs> the animals are like, we've seen this before. We're just going to go ahead and load up. We'll just find a boat. It's good. So what happened was this, is, is I saw this moment as a problem. But what it led me to was a possibility and a promise. Because what we did was we ordered takeout and I ran out in the rain. And I got takeout and slice and bake cookies. Back then I ate carbs. I had a vacation coming up. I plan on eating so many carbs. Like, I'm liable to come back like that, the Kool-Aid guy. Oh, you know, bust through the wall. It'll be okay. And so what we did, we ended up laying in bed and watching old movies the entire time. Our bed, and literally one night we had to take the sheet and Get the crumbs out of it. Anybody ever got ready to go to bed and you're like, okay, this, this, this doesn't even feel right. <laughs> we got to, you know, it's like, oh, look, cookie. Um, anyway, uh, and you never lived till you've eaten something like that. Like you got done and you go to wipe the sheet off and you find it and you're like, nobody can really see that. So anyway, so uh, here's what I believe. I believe that your problems can actually lead you to your promise. And it's all about the attitude and the way that you lean into them that's going to affect how quick or how slow you come out of your problem. So just a little backstory. We're going to talk about Moses probably for the next couple of weeks because I don't have a series planned for a couple of weeks. And, and this is just where I'm living because my life sometimes, some Sundays, like we have Easter Sunday, right? 331 people. I'm feeling great about myself. Then you're going to have that week where nobody shows up. Oh, I saw. Right? You're going to have that moment where you get bonuses and you're like, we can buy anything we want. Then you're going to go put gas in your car and you're going to be like, we're broke. 
right? You're going to have a kid in diapers and you're going to be like, man, I'm never going to have any money. And then there's the, what I call the illusional years where they're moderately self-sufficient. You send them to public school and you actually have a, little, a couple of dollars. And then they go to college. And you're broke again. And you think it's never going to end. But here's the reality. Every problem you're ever going to face comes with a possibility and a promise. But it's about you being spiritually mature enough to see through your problem into your possibility and into your promise. So Moses is a baby. He's just been born. His, his, his mom has him. And the, the Pharaoh puts out a decree and says, look, everybody, every, every baby boy is to be murdered. And literally, they're going around killing all these babies. So his mom does the one thing that she can do to try to save her kid is she puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile. Now, here's the problem. Um, if you live in Egypt, every waterway is full of alligators, crocodiles, whatever it is. She knew that if she left her baby, it was dead. But if she floated it down a river, matter of fact, she sent one of her kids to kind of watch it as long as they could. And the hopes was that it didn't get eaten by an alligator, but it's better to give your baby a hope than nothing. How many of you know that if you're a mama, that's a problem? Can I be honest with you? If you're a baby in a, in a wicker basket floating down a, a gator-infested waterway, it's a problem. But here's the problem. God took the problem that Moses had and turned it into a palace. He ends up getting adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. And he, he becomes an adopted son of the king. He becomes, he goes from being a pauper in his problem to a prince in part of his promise. See, that's how, that's how crazy. When, when mama put the baby in the basket, all she was hoping for was a chance. Have you ever done something and all you were hoping for was a chance? And all of a sudden, this, this thing. God did exceedingly abundantly above anything that mom could ask, think, or even imagine. Believe in her heart. He, God did so much more. And then what happens is this. is How many of you guys know if you're a mama, giving your baby away is a problem? I can't imagine. But then the Pharaoh's daughter was looking for somebody because she was not biologically able to take care of the baby because back then you couldn't go buy you know, Infamil. Mama had to make it. So they look around and go, hey, who could, who could take care of this baby? Why don't we, get, I don't know, get Moses' mama to do it? There's a job she signed up for. I don't even care what it pays, I'm there. So not only did she give her baby away, which was a problem, but God used it to give her baby back, which is a promise. So I sit there and I wonder what problems you have today that you're looking at Maybe through the wrong lens. Because here's what I believe. I believe two things are happening. Either you have a problem, or you're getting ready to have a problem. You're getting ready. Listen, you do not escape this world without problems. Jesus said, in this world there will be trials and tri there will be problems. You, it's part of the deal. But here's what I know. Paul writes and says this, but your, your trials and your troubles and your problems, they all work to make you better. Now he goes through a whole series. It says that one brings faith and faith brings right. And he goes through the, the whole journey. And all that's true. But you'll never see those things if you don't begin to see your problems through a different lens. Matter of fact, I want to take a look just for a minute. Um, in Exodus chapter 2, 
uh, 11 and 12. Um, and we're just going to kind of go through a little bit of a, of a story of Moses, um, different, different elements, because his life is like ridiculous. I love it. He said, one day when Moses had grown up, now there's a question. Have you grown up? See, here's what I know, because I love, I love one, of, one of my passions is helping men become men. Because so many times, like when I was little, people say, hey man, you need to man up. Well, what did that mean? Well, okay, you need to be tougher. How many, how many guys, I'm just going to talk to my guys for a minute, how many times were you told this by, by your mom, your dad, somebody, your granddad? Hey, men don't cry. Was that always true? Because then when we don't cry like at a funeral, people think we have no emotion. Remember when you were bleeding? What did your daddy tell you to do? Rub some dirt in it. Because that's healthy. Put some bacteria in that open wound. That'll be great. For, that'll toughen you up. That'll build the old immune system. Then we're told stuff like this. Hey, men handle it. But then you start handling stuff and people tell you you're a jerk. So here's the problem. Nobody ever defined what manhood really looked like. But then Paul writes and says, when I was a boy, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Here's what I came to realize. You can be a 15-year-old man or a 40-year-old boy. Well, be careful, ladies, how loud you amen. Because the same is true of ladies. You can be female and not a lady. A Proverbs 31 woman looks a certain way and you can just be an old female. I'll leave that alone because nobody's going to amen that. When it comes to your problems, the way that you grow up, the way that you mature is the way that you begin to react. How are you going to react when the inevitable problem happens. And it's not just one. If you beat the first problem, I'm going to make you a promise. Another one's coming. And when you beat that one, another one's coming. And I feel another one bite the dust start playing in the background. Don't, don't, don't. Because here's the reality. God loves you enough to grow you from a problem to a promise. Because part of it is how you handle it, is your spiritual maturity. So he goes on, it says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went, he went out and looked on his people. These were Israeli people that were in captivity. And looked upon their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. I love this next line. He looked this way and that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now I'm going to give you the Adam Bellamy version. ABV version of the Bible right here. Moses looked out and saw somebody beating one of his people. And he's like, ain't nobody looking. How many of y'all know that when you get ready to do something you know you shouldn't do, the first thing you do is look around and see who's looking? When you look at something you're not supposed to, the first thing you do is clear your internet history. Because you don't want anybody looking. I could keep going if you want me to. 
Anytime you've got to look right or left to see who's looking, don't do it. And then I want you to pay attention. The minute, the minute he kills him, he's a prince of Egypt. No Disney reference or Pixar reference <laughs> intended, but it's kind of a thing, right? He is one of the princes of Egypt. What's, what's his daddy going to he, he walk in and go, hey, I killed one of your dudes. Dad's going to be like, you know what? That's a crime. Nah, you get a pardon. I mean, he's already spared his life once. If, if he wanted Moses dead, Moses would be dead. Because if Pharaoh's daughter had enough, had enough pull one time, I guarantee you she had enough pull twice. Because how many of y'all know if it's daddy's little girl? There's a reason I prayed against a daughter. No, 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 don't hear it. No, 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 don't. I love, I, I, I grew up three sisters. My mama was a woman. I married a woman. I, I've got great affection for women. However, I didn't want to raise one. One, because she's going to become attractive. So let's be honest, my kids get about 90% of their mama and I'm, I'm lowballing. That's a good thing. The second thing is this. She would grow up to be a woman, which means boys are going to like her, which means I'm going to go to jail. No, that's not a metaphor for something. That's legitimate. First time somebody slaps my daughter on the booty, I'm going to be like, I guess you're going to lose that head. Well, you call him nubby because he's going to be walking around. They're going to be like, high five. <laughs> that's it. Ain't no, they'll be like, many bump elbows with that other one. I'm just saying, but they're married. I don't care. Here's the other thing I know about me. The first time, if you're a daddy of a daughter, raise your hand. Okay, tell me, if I'm wrong, educate me. The first time she walks up and tears in her eyes and goes, Dad, I need you to, you know, before she finishes, what you may not be eating for the next four weeks. But whatever she needs, you know you're going to do it. If I'm wrong, please raise your hand. Okay, the point is made. Moses could have gotten out of it. But what he wanted to do was hide it. Because the minute you have a problem that you react to the wrong way, you'll look around to see who's watching, and then you'll try to bury your problem with your failure. Inevitably, if you're not careful, your problem will cause you a failure that you don't feel like you can recover from. Matter of fact, let's, let's, let's ease on to this because here's what's going to happen. He looks around to see who's watching because anytime you have to look around to see who's watching, you'll bury things in your past that you hope nobody finds out about. And the fear of them finding out about your failure will cause you to move yourself to a desert. The minute you fail on that level, you will begin to isolate and separate yourself from the very people that you once associated with. Because you're so afraid that they're going to find out about who you really are. Because here's what we do. We always associate our failure with our identity. We always, we always equate our success with our identity. Can I tell you one of the greatest things? Because a couple, a couple of minutes ago I talked about high numbers and low numbers. I really stopped associating my success or failure with how much people give and how many butts are in the seat. I can't. Because those are fickle numbers. A lot of times I don't have anything to do. I want to see how people are growing spiritually. I want to see how you handle your problems. 
I want to see how you steward your marriage. I want to see how you beat your, I mean, raise your children. And so, so, so you sit there and you look and you go, man, if, if, if you do these things, they will, they will by default take you to a place of isolation and they'll take you to a desert. Matter of fact, if we look at Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 17, and I'll go quick, I promise. It says this in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping a flock in his father, uh, uh, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest in Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness in Horeb and came to the mountain of God. Now here's, here's the reality. So Moses kills this guy and somebody a couple of seasons later, day, week, month, we, I'm not for sure, but they come up to him and go, hey, are you going to kill me like you killed the other dude that you buried in a shallow grave? Because here's the thing, your past always has a way of biting you in the butt. So what if we did this? What if, what if, what if we tried not to leave? Um, uh, one of the guys that I follow says this. He says, don't leave breadcrumbs in your past. In other words, this. Put some check marks in your box that says, hey, if I've got to look around, I don't need to do it. Hey, if I've got to bury it, I probably don't need to do it. But if those moments happen, I refuse to let them define me. You never hear about Moses going to the king or the Pharaoh. You never hear about Moses dealing with it. What Moses did was he ran from it. It's, it's by default what we do. I can watch people as a pastor have something fall apart in their life, and the first thing they do is run out of church. And I'm like, that's the one thing that could have helped you. Like, the people here will help you. Well, we have people all the time. Hey, hey, I heard so-and-so has a problem. Can I get their phone number? I'll go over and help them. I tried to do plumbing at my house this week. Thank you for coming and fixing that. <laughs> a five-gallon bucket of water later, I had to have somebody phone a friend. Hey, can, I hate to bother you, but, you know, I'm kayaking under my house. This probably ain't good. And so, so the reality of it is, is this. We, we isolate. We go to that desert place when what we really need is help. Scripture says that, that Moses went to this desert place. Now here's the funny thing. Most scholars believe that Moses spent about 40 years in the desert. Anybody find any irony in that? Moses is going to be the man that's called to lead the people of Israel from captivity to the promised land. It's going to take them 40 years. It's a 12-day journey, but they turned it into 40 years. We'll talk about that another week because a lot of times we make our journey much longer than it has to be because we don't see the problem for the promise. We see the problem for the problem. You ever wonder why God lets problems come into your life? Is it because God does, will not see you through it? Well, no. So if God said this, He said, I'm the author and the finisher in your faith. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus, right? So that means anything that comes your way. When Jesus said it is finished, did He say everything's finished but that one problem you're going to have in 2023? Now, when Jesus said it's finished, he said this. He said, everything that, that, that Lucifer tried to do in the garden, I undid. Well, what, what was God's will in the garden? Was to take care of humanity and walk in relationship with them. God hasn't changed his mind. So why do we look at our problem as if there's no promise attached to it? So Moses sits there 40 years in the desert. 40 years of regret. 40 years of playing one moment over and over and over and over in his head. 40 years of playing that same 
same segment, small segment of a large movie over and over and over in his mind. I promise you this, what Moses was meditating on was not how God saved him in a basket, but how he failed in Egypt. Let me ask you this question. Is the same failure that you made 40 years ago still playing over and over in your mind? Are you letting the regret of yesterday bankrupt the promise of tomorrow? Because I sit there, and when I, when I think of this, you've got to think that Moses thought, man, my best years are behind me. I was a, I was a prince, and I'm going to spend my, the rest of my life as a shepherd. You're talking about a job that's below his qualification level? Moses is not only being humbled in the desert, He's being broken. Moses is asking questions to God that you shouldn't ask. You ever had somebody die and you look at God and go, dude, I don't get you at all. You ever have something happen and, and you get a little mad at God. You resent God. Those are all the questions we're taught that we can't ask God, but in reality, God is begging us to ask Him. Because it gives him a chance to reveal his nature and his character and his love and his compassion. And have you ever tried to lie to God? Ask Adam and Eve. Ask Cain and Abel. It doesn't work. Forty years he's dealing with this regret. Forty years he's dealing with thinking that his best days are behind him. Scripture says this. It says in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord... Um, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called out to him. Now I need you to notice, until you turn, God doesn't call. A lot of people want God to, want God to make the first move. God always makes the second move. God said, look, I did it all. I sent my son. That was move one. You need to react. Ah, uh, but I got this problem. Okay, you're either going to turn towards me or away from me. You're either going to turn towards the great thing that God's trying to do or you're going to turn away from the great thing that God's trying to do. But the next move is always yours. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because He loves you enough to give you a choice. You ever looked at your kid and you, you know... You ever looked at... I've said this. you got a choice. And I don't tell them the consequence or the blessing. If you do this, I'm going to wear you out. You do this, we're probably going to, you know, CC's. I don't know. Pick, pick your poison, right? God looks at us and says, man, I created you with free will. You can either turn towards the promise or you can turn away from it. But it, the choice is yours. And so, it said this in verse 4. It said, uh, or verse 3, it said, He turned around to see this great sight while the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that He turned to the aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And He said, Here I am. Let me ask you a question. Are you making yourself available in every season of your life, even the bad ones, to God? Are you asking God to make you and shape you? Are you saying, God, I'm here to do anything you want me to do? God, I'm right here. Are you willing to do something you don't want to do because it's an opportunity that God created for you? And the house got quiet. 
When's the last time you looked at God and said, man, here I am. I've been in a desert too long. You know, one of the reasons we push people to volunteer is so because it keeps people out of desert places. It also lets them answer for the first time maybe in their life, God, here I am. Because I think a life where you don't serve other people is a life that you're not living that's fulfilled. I'm going to say that again. A life where you're not serving is a life that you're not living with any purpose that's not fulfilled. Your life has to be bigger than you. Because it puts you, it frames your problem in perspective. See, I got, I got problems in my life. People think that when you get pastor in front of your name, all of a sudden you're, you have every happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Since Jesus. What? That is not the way it works at all. But the beautiful thing about my job is I get to frame my problems in view of other people's problems. And oftentimes it makes my problems seem much smaller. The other thing I get to do is see God not only work out my problem to His promise, but I get to see God work other people's problems to their promise, which builds my faith to tell other people. Because remember, our whole job is to make Jesus famous. How did Jesus get famous? What ma- Before the cross, what made Jesus famous? His ability to do two things. One, solve people's problems. And two, speak God to people who thought that they were too far away to ever be connected with God again. If you want to live a life with purpose, do those two things. Help people solve their problems. And, and connect people with Jesus that feel so far away that they can't connect. Maybe today, you, in, in the midst, in the face of your problem, you need to look at God and say, here I am. He goes on in verse 5 and he says this, and stand in, uh, then he said, do not come near, take off your sandal, uh, take the sandals off your feet for the place which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face Because he was too afraid to look. Here's the thing. Whenever you say, here I am, you'll always see God in a new light that makes you seem less significant and God seem way bigger. Which also frames your problem in the right perspective and begins to move you towards the promise. Does this make any sense? Like, like you're going to have problems, but when we say, here I am, when we stop running from them, when we stop burying them in the sand, then all of a sudden they begin to be, be framed in a whole different perspective. Matter of fact, verse 7 says this. It says, and the Lord said, surely I've, he, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey and the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all these other folks. In verse 9, he said, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me for I've seen their oppression which is the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's what happens. This is the very thing that that Moses killed a man over. Because here's the reality. Your passions are also God's passions. The issues in life that you're really concerned about, I'm not talking about dumb stuff. I'm talking about like major, this is where my heart pushes towards. 
Like some people are for the are for those that are impoverished. Some people are for those that live in third world situations. Some people are for pick 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 the passion of your life. What you'll find is that when you say, Here I am, God opens doors not only to meet your passion, but to meet his. So God looks and and begins to have this conversation. In verse 11, I love what, what Moses replies back. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? God, who am I? I'm not good enough for this. Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know I killed a man? I killed a man with my bare hands. Now you want me to go like be something for you? Have you lost your mind? How many times when we've told God, here I am, have we given God all the reasons why we're not good enough? Here's what I think the reality is, is that some of you have disqualified yourself when God's qualified you. And that you're stuck in your problem. Because while God's forgiven you, you haven't. And for your life to really live a life of of purpose and a life of destiny, you're going to have to get into what God is doing and get out of what you've done. There's never been, other than Jesus, a perfect man used by God. All the rest of them have been fundamentally and generally catastrophically flawed. But yet, the amazing thing about God is God loves using imperfection because through the imperfection, His perfection shines. I love inter- I love meeting people that I went to high school and and even before that with, especially when my wife and I go back to my hometown, I will run into people and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing now? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, <laughs> no, really, what are you doing? I'm like, that's yeah, a thing. And then inevitably they want to tell my wife stories. My wife will tell you, it gets awkwardly uncomfortable. Because I'm like, eh, let's just stop right there. Those don't, because I want to, I want to bury those. But in reality, it's part of the great testimony that God has done in and through my life and in and through your life. I mean, you don't have to have this jacked up story to show how good God is. You're jacked up enough. No, 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 no. I don't mean that bad. You can be what the world sees as a great person, but you're still pretty screwed up. Like, how broken do you have to be to show God how good God is? Look, God is way better than anything you've done. And His ability to show that will be magnified in and through your life. Does this make any sense? So I sit there and I go, I go, man, when we look at this, we've got to stop telling God why we are not good enough. Matter of fact, if you go on to, I'm going to go 13 through 17. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, what should I say to them? The God of your fathers uh, has sent me to you and they're going to ask me what His name is and what am I going to say to them? Because here's the thing. The minute you ask who you are, really at your core, and I think everybody should be able to ask this. If you haven't ever taken time and said, who am I? Uh, When we started our ordination people off on their trajectory, the first thing I made them lean into is their identity. Because if you don't know who you really are, it'll be moved by every situation and every problem you ever face. But that question will instantaneously and by default lead you to who is God? Who is God in my life? And he goes on, he says this, verse 14, 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or another interpretation says, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. And he said, and he said, say to the people of God, I am has sent you. Now this, man, God gives himself a name. I am. That's a weird name. Chuck. Chuck's a name I understand. Frank's a name I understand. Matt's a name I understand. John is a name I get. Jesus is a name I get. I am? Strange. But here's what God is going to say. God said, you know what, Moses? I could tell you that I'm a provider, but you're going to need me to be more than a provider. I could tell you that I'm all-powerful, but you're going to need me to be more than all-powerful. You're also going to need me to be all-compassionate. I could tell you that I'm all compassionate, but I also need you to know that I'm all patient. I could tell you I'm all... Do you, do you get now why God said I am? Moses, I am everything you're ever going to need. I am what I am. And I'm going to be what I'm going to be. Matter of fact, I'm going to be what I'm going to be even when you screw up and fumble the football. When did we decide that God that we had to be good enough for God to move through? Because if God is really the thing moving, what difference does your value make? Anybody like wine? <laughs> I love asking that question in church because people go, is he screwing with us at this point? Because I don't know how you answer that, church. You can take a $3 bottle of Aldi wine and put it in a $10,000 glass wine glass. And it's still $3 wine. You can take $10,000 wine and put it in a plastic cup and it's still $10,000 wine. Which matters more, the cup or the wine? Jesus said, I am the wine. The wine is always more important than the cup. The question is, are you willing to carry Jesus to the people who want to drink Him? When are you going to stop putting more value on you, the cup, than Him, the wine? Because when you do that, all of a sudden your past matters a whole lot less. All of a sudden your failure, you can, you can put $10,000 wine in a cracked cup. Anybody ever drunk out of a glass and you got ready to put it in the dishwasher and you're like, there's a crack in that. I wonder how much glass I just drank. Right? Like, Am I feeling okay? Zobagus? Because the beautiful thing is God can even be poured out of cracked and broken vessels. He goes on and he says this. So tell them that the I am sent you. Verse 15. God said to the, to the Moses, say to the people of God, the Lord your God, the fathers of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name through the story of Moses. No, he said, this is my name. Forever. Why? Why say that? 
Because your problems are always framed with a promise. I am who I am for you. That's going to be who I am. This is, my, this is not just my name. This is my character. My name will be remembered through all generations. Verse 16, he said, And go to the elders of the Israel and gather them together and say to them, The Lord your God, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what's being done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the reality. God's saying to you this. I'll make you the same promise because I am that I, that I am. I will bring you out. Let me ask you a question. If you were an Egyptian, 400 years of, of captivity, somebody shows up and they're going to get you out, I'm excited. But they still had to go through the plagues. Just because you have a promise does not mean that the problem stops. It just means you've got to keep going. Do you remember this story? They, they come in and, they, and, and they're like, Hey, Moses, you're sending the plagues. Things are good now. Look, we got grasshoppers and frogs and blood and spirits and like, like you know what I mean? Like some stuff's going on, like sticks turning into serpents and serpents getting eaten by other serpents. And like, this is, I mean, this is some Gandalf stuff going on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is some Lord of the Rings in real life. And so here's the reality, though. He said this, but then the beatings got worse. See, what we think is as we move towards God, it gets easier. Sometimes it just means you get beat on more. But growing up, remember I said it was all about maturity. Growing up is being mature enough not to stop. It's like, it's like going to the gym. The first time you go back to the gym, if you haven't been in a minute, and you go sit down on the potty, you'll quit. Because you got what I call the, the squat and drop. You get over it and your legs hurt so bad, you just let go. And then you think, my Lord, I have to get up. That's an interesting... You don't want to see that. Grabbing walls and rolling and... It's ugly. Making noises. But maturity tells you this, just because it hurts doesn't mean it's not good for you. You don't get strong by being comfortable. You don't... You don't get fit by doing what you, eating what you want to eat. Somebody said this, you cannot work a bad diet. Here's what I believe. You can't become spiritually strong without going through your problems. And it's going to suck. Nobody wants problems. But here's what spiritual maturity looks like. When you start going, God, you are bigger than my problem. And rather than shutting myself off, I'm going to say, here I am. Because you are the God that has already made me a promise that you're going to answer every problem I have with a bigger payday than the problem was. That, 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 that every time I go through a problem, man, I've got a broken relationship, I've got broken finances, I've got broken health, I've got what, whatever it is. Every time you let me walk into that season, it's because you plan on bringing me out with something better than what I lost. Anybody ever lose somebody you love? Like, like you were dating somebody and you just thought, this is it. This is it. 70. Okay, nobody knows that, but like one dude who's laughing. 
And then all of a sudden they come to you and go, hey, we need to talk. And by the way, if you're a dude and she says she needs to talk, not good. Bring a box. She's giving you your stuff back. You're getting your hoodie back. You're getting your whatever. It's coming back. You ever sat there and you've been like, man, this is... Or, or maybe you're a guy and, and, and you just thought you found the one and then... Or you're a girl and you think you... Because I, I think we've all been through this moment. Never going to find love again. Every time my sister, I've got an older sister, every time she broke up, she played Air Supply. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. Right? And she can't. She makes me sound like I can sing. So every time we get together with her, we make fun of her because we start playing these songs. The night they drove old Dixie down. We can, I can give you a list of them. I'm Coming to America by Neil Diamond. She had a horrible music taste. But every time she broke up, because of the way she viewed herself, she thought her life was over. You ever lost money? So much money that you thought your life was over? Because this isn't just about relationships. This goes, I mean, it's deep. Because what God's really wanting to show you is that you're enough, broken, and He's enough, full, that He can take you from a problem into a promise. Because the Reverend Garth Brooks said this, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. How many of y'all went back and that, that person that broke your heart, you see him in 10 years, and you're like, well, thank God I dodged a bullet on that one. I'd be living in a box under a bridge with that fool. When can you, when can you mature enough spiritually that you can thank God for your problem? Remember in the beginning it said, and Moses grew up. Moses grew up and then had to go to a desert for 40 years so that he could grow up enough to lead people for 40 years. See, sometimes God has to let you go to these places so that you learn to answer the here I am. So that you can look at your problem and go, God, I don't get what you're doing. But I know who you are. You ever been with somebody and they start doing shady stuff? But it's not that kind of shady. Like it's around Christmas or your birthday and they're doing shady and you know they're plotting something good for you but you can't figure out what it is. And then you kind of get a little irritated with them. But then you open the box and it wasn't what you thought they were doing but it was better. And then you're like, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Can you stop having that conversation with God? Because God has something way better than what you thought you were going to lose if you can just not lose the faith. But God, it's never worked out before. It's maybe you weren't mature enough for it to work out. Maybe you had to go through 40 years in a desert so you could be mature enough to lead a whole group of people through the next season. Does this make sense? We've got a, a, a thing on our wall at the house and it says this, when I don't know what God's hand is doing, I'll trust His heart. Because I know He is the I Am. He's going to be everything we need. So, so if you're here today, as we, as, as we come to close, and here's the thing. Well, the problem that you've been thinking about through this whole service, can you be mature enough to see that it's going to lead you to a promise? Can you sit back and go, you know what, God? 
I trust you enough in this season to know you're going to bring me through. Can we pray? Father, as we prepare to close, I just ask that we stir that gift of God, that faith that you've given us. God, you, you told us that everybody already has enough faith to do whatever they need to do for you. God, can we just can you just stir that in the hearts and lives of people this morning? God, will you let them see that their problem is actually your way of leading them to their promise? God, the great thing about, about problems is they act as banks. And God, we can't have a river without a bank. So God, will, will you increase their momentum, God, towards the finish line? God, will you let them have faith and answer the question, here I am. God, knowing who they are, answer the question of who you are. God, will you be more than just a God of convenience? Will you be a God of relationship in their life? Maybe you're here watching this morning and you're like, Pastor, I, I can't have that confidence because I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never invited Him into your heart. Or maybe you've walked away, man. Maybe you've been doing your own thing and this is your come home moment. If you're here, you're watching online, you say, you know what, Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus, man. Or maybe I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Will you just slip your hand up? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Can we just pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, Right now, I invite you into my life. Ask that you forgive me of my sins and make me right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, thank you guys so much as the worship team comes. Uh, again, man, we're just excited about what God's doing. We're glad that you're here. Um, man, I cannot wait to see um, what God does in and through this place. Thank you for being part of our Thrive Tribe. If you want to partner with this ministry and what the Lord is doing here at Thrive, visit thrivechurchonline.com and click on the Give tab. Help us reach more people just like you by rating and subscribing to this podcast. You don't want to miss what's coming next.